This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Margaret Tolive. Welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today's Wednesday, November 3rd, and we're focused on how last night's Republican election wins are playing today on Capitol Hill. It's been a painful reality check for Democrats. Have they run out of time to enact their agenda, that big infrastructure deal, and that huge social welfare package? And what do these results say, anyhow, about their chances of hanging on to the majority in 2022? Well, this afternoon, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi sent a dear colleague letter to rally her party. Her message was full steam ahead. Nothing's changing. But to understand what Pelosi really means by that, and where Democrats' progressive and moderate factions can go from here, we're joined by Axios' congressional reporter, Elena Treen. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So, Elena, what are you hearing now about how House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is reacting uh, to those results from last night? Democratic leaders feel more resolved than ever that they need to pass Biden's domestic agenda right now. And we saw that come out in the form of her dear colleague letter Wednesday afternoon. She said that they're making good progress and on track to pass that $1.75 trillion spending package or the Build Back Better plan, but also, you know, kind of laid down a marker on paid leave, something that they're still negotiating. And it's clear now that the House is ready to move without the Senate to get this done. And that's been kind of one of the biggest issues that we've seen hold up this entire process all along. So I think, if anything, they, they've learned their lessons from 2010 under the Obama administration when Republicans last took back the House. And they're recognizing that they need to get moving and start really putting policy and words into action um, to ensure that they keep voters in line with them. She indicated in that Dear Colleague's letter that nothing had changed because of the election results. Do you think she was trying to signal that they were still on track to pass infrastructure? Or do you think she was trying to signal the opposite to try to send some sort of signal that Democrats don't feel rattled or shaken? Nothing has changed. I think it's both. And we've seen both arguments come out from particularly, you know, looking at the frontline House moderates who are really going to be the ones facing tough re-election battles and who are really worried about what happened on Tuesday, but also progressives. We saw Pramila Jayapal, the chairwoman of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, say today that she doesn't think that, you know, holding up the two bills or the delay would have, you know, is responsible for Terry McAuliffe's loss in Virginia. Moderates, though, in particular, are using this as a signal that, more than ever, they need to get acting, particularly on that bipartisan infrastructure bill, something that the Senate passed in August and moderates have been pushing for a vote on for the past 
several months now. Can congressional leadership really rally members of their own party, particularly uh, inside the Democratic Party? Like, do they have more sway than they've been using? And do you think we'll see them lean in or are they just on track now to move forward? They have a lot of sway. We saw this play out. One good example is how Pelosi really got involved in the 11th hour on prescription drug pricing. She was the one who picked up the phone, spoke with the White House, spoke with Senator Cinema, you know, House Speaker talking to a key Senate holdout. Very rare, at least from what I've, in my time being here, we don't see that often. And, and so we're seeing leadership get very intimately involved in the policy parts of this and really needing to use the sway that they do have to get this across the finish line. But of course, the biggest problem is in a 50-50 Senate and the slim majorities in the House, I think it's about that Pelosi needs three votes. There's a three-vote margin. I think it'll go to four now that we've had these special elections. But it's tough. Like, your influence only goes so way as a leader when basically most of your party has potentially full veto power as well. And that's why we've seen this be such a difficult process in getting these bills over the hump. Glenn Youngkin really kept former President Trump at arm's length, even as he was courting his base and and talking about some of the benefits of some of the policies or approaches of the Trump administration. Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, the Democrat, really, really leaned into the Trump criticism and it backfired. What does that tell you? Like, do you think that this is going to end the era of the Trump-focused campaigns going into 2022? Or how will it change the way Democrats think of Trump as a campaign theme that can help them? Such a good question. This is a very particular question to Virginia, given the way that Virginia voters are made up, given, you know, how the state is far more of a battleground and more purple than others. But I do think that it shows, you know, Biden largely won on the uh, 2020 election being a referendum on Trump. And um, he was the anti-Trump candidate. A lot of his campaign was, I'm better than the other guy. I'll restore unity and decency that was lost under the Trump administration. That's not, you know, potentially, I mean, I think what we saw um, on Tuesday night is that's not going to work as a message much longer. Uh, They can't continue to run on that for the midterms and into 2024. Now it's time for everyone to, you know, (laughs) shake off the election night dust and move on. So there's a lot of things on the table for Democrats right now. There's healthcare, there's infrastructure, there's climate, there's education. What's the party going to prioritize after they get past this flashpoint? They are going to prioritize again, I think, these dual infrastructure bills. I think they're going to say, look at what we can accomplish. You know, the big thing and question mark around Democrats controlling both chambers of Congress as well as the White House was, will they use all of the power of the majority to push through as much as they can before the midterms? Or will they try to play things more toward the middle and and hold seats as much as possible? I think they're going with the former. They're going to try to get as much done as they can while they have this unilateral power. And that's going to be their message. Look what we can do when Democrats are in office. Look at what we did with this infrastructure package. Look at what we did with this social spending bill. You know, they they still have another, they're hoping to get this done before the end of the year. Then they have most of 2022 to maybe find a different issue that'll be really popular among voters. And that's something we're digging into now on what that issue could be. But that's by and far what I think their messaging will be. 
there's a tactical question, right? Which is, do you keep trying to ramp through these big packages that are really hard to put a coalition together on? Or do you try to find smaller individual issue bills that you can uh, perhaps get through more easily? Do do you have a sense that Democrats are looking at switching tactically or they still want to go for the gusto, go for the big statement? They're going for big, bold, ambitious, progressive. That's what they're going for. We've seen that with this package that they're pushing through now. And we've seen that in the rhetoric of the party so far. And we've all seen it from President Biden. I mean, a lot of people expected him to be the centrist Democrat, the moderate Democrat. And really, he hasn't been. He's been far more progressive than a lot of people, I think, expected. And big and bold is is the way of the road right now that they're that they're on. Axios is congressional reporter Elena Turin. Thanks so much for taking the time with us. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a major development in a story first reported by Axios. To catch you up quick, on Tuesday, my colleague Lachlan Marquet reported that the FEC, that's the Federal Elections Commission, had opened the door to foreign donors financing U.S. referendum campaigns. We've been spending today talking about 2021, but this could have had huge implications for 2022, 2024, and beyond. That's because foreign nationals are barred from giving to U.S. political candidates or to committees. So allowing them to support ballot committees could have been a massive loophole, allowing them to influence U.S. voters and domestic policy directly. The response to Axios' reporting has been swift and bipartisan. Earlier today, Senators Kirsten Gillibrand, a New York Democrat, and Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, both announced that they'll introduce legislation to close this loophole. Before we go, we'd like to recommend another podcast you may like. Join Court's Obsession every week as reporters from their global newsroom dig into the most fascinating facets of an object, where it came from, how it got to us, and what it can tell us about the forces that are changing the way we live and work. From the economics and technology behind instant ramen and sweatpants, to the history of QR codes, and more. Let's discover more together. Listen to Court's Obsession wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Margaret Tolive, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.